Welcome to the Redeemer Podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. We hope you enjoy the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. And it's good to have AC this week as well. Well, please take your Bibles and go to James chapter 1. As we have begun our study in the book of James, James is about immediate, practical, on-the-ground Christianity, the living out of your faith Christianity. And for James, he, he wants to emphasize more than what we know. He wants to emphasize what we live and emphasize that we live what we know. Because for a lot of us, especially if you've grown up in church and you've been going to church for years and years and years, we know a lot of things, but we don't live a lot of things. And we don't live the things that we know. And this is really the burden of James. And today, we hear two of the most famous phrases in the book of James, um, things that whether you're not that familiar with Christianity, you've, you've probably heard these phrases said before, be a, a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And then the phrase from James is about remembering the word of God and living the word of God. And if you don't, it's like looking into a mirror and forgetting what you look like. And so what James is about today is that he wants us to stare into the mirror of God's word and then to live accordingly, to, to live this practical Christianity. And as we do every week at Redeemer, let's, if you're able, let's stand in honor of the reading of the word of God, beginning in James 1, verse 19. And the Spirit says through our brother James, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now to be hearers and doers of your word to hear this word from you this morning and to live accordingly from it. Help us now, Lord, by your spirit and by the blood of King Jesus, would we receive with meekness the implanted word into our hearts and put away our sins, put away our disobedience, put away our delayed obedience and to walk with you in that new resurrected life we have with Christ. 
Help us now. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, one of the things that amazes me about human beings is that we have this amazing ability, all of us, we refuse to listen to professionals. Your doctor will tell you, hey, I got your blood work back. We need to lower your cholesterol. And you say, okay, let's do that. What should I do, doc? I want you to cut out red meat for six months. Okay. Next night, you're having a steakathon at your house. It's just, it's over. You go to the dentist. He says, you know what? You, you've got some, some gum stuff going on. Uh, I want you to start flossing more. Are you flossing? Uh, define flossing. Right? <laughs> I want, here you go. Here's the floss machine. I want you to be flossing when you come back in six months. Okay, got it. You go back in six months. Jimmy, have you been flossing like I said? No. Why? Why do we refuse to listen to professionals? I doubt your dentist has stock in the floss market. Like he's out to get you. Like we have this innate suspicion, this sneaky tendency in our hearts that make us think, because we read this article on Facebook, we know more than the guy or, or gal that went to school for eight years. We think we're fine. Our, our sinful, here's why, our sinful pride clogs our ears so we won't hear. It revs the engine in our mouth so we'll talk and talk and talk and we think if we can talk enough, we might convince everyone else in the room that we know what we're talking about. Or if we talk and talk, we might even convince ourselves that we know what we're talking about. But listen, there is one authority in the universe that we cannot afford to ignore. The Bible, the very word of God, is the one voice we are not allowed to yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah-ness to your dentist might just result in you getting some fillings or some gingivitis. Yeah, yeah-ness to the almighty God will cost you your life and your soul, and your eternity. Because James, he knows it's possible for you and me to affirm all the truth in the Bible. But if it isn't proven in our lives by our actions and by our speech and by our reactions, by our tempers, James says it's worthless. I mean, look at verse 26. Look at 126. Look at what he says. If anyone, anyone here today thinks he's religious, he's a, he's a good Christian guy, good Christian girl, and he goes to church and reads his Bible and, and gives and all these things, knows great doctrine, and does not bridle his tongue, does not change his speech, does not rein in what he wants to say, James says, you have deceived yourself and your religion is worthless. Worthless. He doesn't hold back punches here. We hear things like this and we kind of, well, what he kind of means is, no, he said what he meant. It's worthless. You can know Tulip. You can know all the theories of the atonement and you can know that Ephesians 5 says wives are to submit to their husbands and husbands are to love their wives like Christ loves the church. But if you are a jerk, your religion is worthless. You can know God is gracious and loving and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, but if you tell racist jokes, your religion is worthless. James is all about practical, real holiness and practical and real Christianity. And he really gives us three categories right out of verse 19 that are really under the banner of the Bible being over our entire life, 
how these play out. Look at verse 19. Practical holiness, the whole section's all about really verse 19. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. This is, the re- this is what this whole passage is about. Us being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's amazing how it's one quick thing and two slow things. Because And all three of them cut right to our reaction times. Pick up your reaction time when it comes to listening. Slow down your reaction time when it comes to speaking and getting angry. And Proverbs is just loaded, loaded, loaded with these kinds of verses. We could spend all morning just looking at verses from Proverbs that are all about this. And James is reminding us how this is a vital aspect of the Christian life. Because think about it. When your spouse is trying to explain what they meant, when you felt offended and they were trying, no, let me explain what I was saying. Are you quick to hear? Or just, no, I, I know, I don't need to hear. I don't need to hear from you. I know what you said. Are you jumping off the starting block to prove your point and to defend yourself? When your coworker is trying to say something about why that project didn't happen, and here, here's why you know, I, didn't, I wasn't able to email you in, in time for it. No, I, no, I don't want to hear. James says we should be quick. These are commands. These are not suggestions. These are commands from Almighty God for us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And these all go against the grain of our flesh because we want to have the first word and the last word, and we want the loudest word. And have you ever noticed how often God asks questions in the Bible? In Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sin, what does God do? He says, where are you? And they are hiding. They said, well, we heard the sound of you walking in the garden. And we were naked and ashamed, so we, and we were afraid, and we hid from you. And God asked another question. Who told you you were naked? And Cain and Abel. Cain, where's your brother? Fast forward to Jesus. Often Jesus would look at the crowd and say, why are you thinking that way? Why do you think that? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Why is God asking these questions all the time? Because even God himself is quick to hear. A quickness to hear is a way that we love others. It's a way of coming together and saying, let's reason together. It's God communicating when he's asking Adam and Eve, and when Jesus is asking Peter, it's communicating, I'm here for you. What do you need to say? What do you want to say? And we do this with one another. We're communicating. I'm here. I want to listen. What do I need to hear? What do you need to say to me? It communicates value to the other person. So verse 19 is good, helpful, immediately applicable to our daily lives. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And James really unfolds the rest of these throughout the whole passage. And he really starts with another practical holiness, just unpacking it more. Calm down. Look at the end of verse 19. Slow to anger, and then verse 20, what? For the anger, so here he's continuing this theme, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now notice he says, be slow to anger. He didn't say, don't get angry. I know that even as we read this verse right now, that we have a tendency to read the Bible, and we misread the Bible even as we're reading the Bible. That we can read these words, be slow to anger. And some of us already thought, what, I can't get angry? Okay, what did it say? S-L-O-W, slow 
to anger. So God's allowing it. But he says, be slow, pump the brakes, have a long fuse, and get angry for the right reason. Why? Because verse 21, what does he say? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We have to understand in James, when he says things like the righteousness of God, and he's going to say later, receiving the implanted word, verse 21, which is able to save your souls, he's not talking about salvation in the way that Paul talks about salvation and the righteousness in the way that, that Paul speaks of our righteousness. He's talking about it in the way of producing holiness, Christ's likeness. So he says the anger of man doesn't help the holiness of God spring up in your life. The ang- your anger doesn't help bring about holiness in you or in others. Quick anger, microwavable anger doesn't help anyone. It doesn't bring up Christ-likeness. And I know you're already thinking, but Jesus got angry. You remember? He made the whip. Hello? He got angry. Did you forget about that? No, I didn't forget about that. And I know you didn't forget about that. We're going to talk about that. But I doubt you're flying off the handle at your kids for spilling their milk the second time is the same kind of anger Jesus had in the temple. I highly doubt you're getting angry at the teenager writing down your order at Outback Steakhouse is the same as the holy divine anger of God. I mean, really think about your anger. Does your anger produce holiness? Has your anger ever done anything helpful other than help ruin relationships? Other than help burn bridges? Remember what Romans says. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Not the anger of God. Not the wrath of God. Kindness is a, is a breadcrumb of the gospel. And we are kind to one another. Courteous towards one another. Slow to anger with one another. It is a breadcrumb of the gospel showing us how we have been raised to newness of life with Christ. I mean, really... Th- Verse 19 and 20 shows you, if you had ever any doubts, how practical Christianity is and how practical your daily life with Christ is. Jesus cares how you treat that drive through person at Starbucks. Jesus wants you to see how your faith and your faith in him and your new life with him, your gospel-powered life with him, really has to deal with how you react to the long lines at HEB. If you're a Christian and you're quick to anger, there's a disconnect. When you're inconvenienced and you're quick to anger, when you're quick to honk, you, you're, and you're in traffic, it, there's a disconnect. When your kids seem like they're training to be in a mosh pit and you're quick to anger, we should be slow to anger, he says. You know why we're quick to anger? It's because we can't believe someone would dare go against our will. Because we think we're divine. How dare you not listen to me the first time I said something? How dare my spouse not go to the restaurant I wanted to go to when I passively, aggressively said where I wanted to go? (laughs) So that's all sinful anger. What's righteous anger? If we're allowed to be angry, so what's righteous anger? Righteous anger is when others are being hurt, others are being taken advantage of, and you're angry about it. When, you, when you're angry about what Boko Haram is doing, when you're angry about what ISIS is doing, th- these are things to be angry about. When, when I stopped that bully in the Chick-fil-A playground, and I was mad at that little punk, I was righteous anger. Because righteous anger isn't about you. It's about others. 
Righteous anger, there's two ways you could think about it, just after. Righteous anger can think afterwards, I don't regret that. I'm, I'm glad I did that. It helped them. It was about justice. It defended them. Sinful anger will think at some point, I regret doing that. I regret saying that. I regret saying it in the way I did. It hurt her. It hurt him. It destroyed them. It didn't build them up. This is why verse 21 says, he continues with a therefore. Since 19 is true, we're to be slow to anger. Since 20 is true, since our anger doesn't bring about the holiness of Christ in our lives. Verse 21, therefore, let's put away all filthiness. Because what is our concern? That we would be holy, that the righteousness of God would be in our lives. So let's put away all filthiness and all rampant wickedness in what? Receive with meekness, humility, the implanted word. So receive the word of God, which is able to save your souls, which is able to bring about that Christ-likeness in your life. James is reminding us, look, angry people are not humble people. Angry people do not receive the word of God. What James is calling for in our lives in verse 21 is that the Bible would influence us. That the Bible would be the kind of, he's going to talk about later, the Bible would kind of be like the rudder of our lives. The Bible would be at 10 and 2 on our lives, leading us and guiding us. So, so what sins need to be put away? This is his command. So put away all filthiness. What filthy thoughts in our, in our lives need to be taken to the woodshed and bashed with a shovel? What rampant wickedness, sins that we're just letting have free reign, the way, the way we talk and the way we look at the opposite sex and the way what we watch on TV. I mean, all these kinds of things James cares about. Just put them away. This is the language of one, like taking off soiled clothes. It's like when your kids get the stomach bug and they throw up all over themselves and then all over you. It, no one ever, when that occurs, they have puke on their kid, puke on them. No one thinks, eh, that's fine. You can go to school like that. Oh, I got puke on my shirt. Well, I can go to work like this. It's good. No. The language of James is you get rid of it. You take those things off. And so that's why we go, all right, everybody in the bathtub. I didn't throw up. You were near it. Get in the bathtub. Like <laughs> everyone's in all these clothes, burn them. Like we're done. This is his point. Put these things away and put these things on. Be quick to listen to the word. Receive with meekness the implanted word. And listening, true listening, be quick to listen. It's also living. This is his next part about practical holiness, that we listen and live the Bible. Look at verse 22. So he's still continuing on the same thought. 21, receive with meekness the implanted word, but be doers of the word. Not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Listen, we don't ever want to minimize the importance of hearing the Bible, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, memorizing the Bible. But here's one thing we've got to realize too. If our Bible reading plans, and they're great, I, I would encourage you to have a Bible reading plan. If your Bible reading plan does not at some point morph into and lead into a Bible doing plan, it's worthless. If we don't live what we are listening to and what we are reading and, and what we are seeing, James says we've tricked ourselves. You have deceived yourself. What are we deceived about? 
What are we tricked about? We've duped ourselves into thinking we're mature. Because we American Christians, we confuse learning things as though we're growing. We'll often say, and I, that was part of my testimony, I was meeting with a guy this week, and we both kind of shared the same thing. We became Christians, and then a point came where like, oh man, we were just able to remember where things were, and we could say, boom, boom, this, 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 and here's where this truth is, and we felt like we're growing. When we weren't growing, we were still immature, we were still jerks, we still didn't bridle our tongues, we still had you know, problems with lust, and on and on and on. We weren't growing, we were learning, but we weren't living. And a lot of our problem is that we just learn things and we think we're mature. We've duped ourselves into thinking we're mature. We've deceived ourselves into thinking we're really learning. But James is saying, you know you have actually learned from Christ when we are beginning to live like Christ. This is the essence of discipleship with the risen Lord Jesus. As a Christian, we are not just people who affirm good doctrine and sing songs and live moral lives. You and I are first and foremost, we are disciples of Christ. You are a disciple of Jesus, meaning you are learning from Jesus. You are walking with Jesus. So you're listening to the words of Jesus. So when he says, be a doer of the word, it means I'm being discipled by Christ. It's like I am sitting there with him in Galilee when I read the Sermon on the Mount, and I am hearing what it is Jesus wants me to live, wants me to believe, and wants me to do as one of his disciples. Because I believe he died for me and rose again. Because I do believe that all my sins are paid for. Because I do believe I am forgiven and that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places, reigning and ruling over the universe. And because I believe that one day he is coming back and I am being transformed into his image. This is where we're all headed as his disciples. We're being transformed to be just like him. Then when the Bible says, be a doer of the word, it is calling me to be a disciple of Christ. It is calling me to be like Jesus. You know, Every command in the Bible, every single one, is transforming us into the image of Christ. We we have four Gospels. There's a lot of things about Jesus we don't know about. We don't know how Jesus would respond to the situation. We use our imaginations. We don't know how Jesus would have reacted to this. We just have these four stories, these four Gospels. But the rest of the Bible fills it all in. When there's a command that says, love one another, we're seeing an image of Christ that we're being transformed into because Jesus loves us. When we see the command to forgive one another, we're seeing another contour of who Christ is. When we see the command to encourage one another, we're seeing a contour of Christ that we're being transformed into. When we're told not to lust, we're seeing another contour of who Christ is, and we're being transformed into the image because he did not lust, and he would encourage, and he would exhort, he would rebuke. Every command is showing us the image of Christ that we're being changed into. And as Christians, we live from the doneness of the gospel. We live by faith. So to live is to do by faith. We turn from sin by faith and because of our faith in Christ. So the Bible is now the mirror on our wall telling us how to follow the Lord of all in in all of life. And it's clear that James is talking about the Bible because what does he say in 25? The one who looks into the perfect law of liberty. He's going to talk about this being looking in a mirror in a second. So the mirror is the Bible. And listen, hearing isn't enough. This is his point. And it's not legalistic to say doing is required. 
The Bible says doing is required, not for salvation, but because we are saved. So we must let the Bible say what the Bible says, that we must be doers of the word. So if we hear this verse, be a doers of the word, and you must obey, and we're like, well, you know, when you bring grace in, we know we've already deceived ourselves. If our doctrine of grace won't let James say what James says, we have misunderstood grace. If our idea of gospel-centeredness tries to, you know, kind of explain away what James is saying, no, we're not really gospel-centered. The doing of the word isn't for our salvation. It is from our salvation. The word made flesh already saved us. But now because we are saved, we want to be a doer of the word because we're disciples of Christ. And James gives us this memorable illustration for, for, for this. Verse 23. For if anyone says, or if, I'm sorry, if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and then goes away at once and forgets what he is like. So James says, look, don't be like the guy who looks in the mirror and forgets. You know, sometimes I'll hear, or I've said this before, I'll hear, we'll all say things like this at some point in our lives. After a sermon or in a Bible study and you're reading a book or something and you go, man, after the service will be done here and they go, man, that verse, right, that spoke to me. It's like that sermon or that scripture, it's like you must be spying on me. How did you know? That, that was like just for me. I feel like you wrote that sermon and that, that scripture, you gave it just for me. What is, what is that? It's only because you were looking into the mirror of God's word and you saw something you needed to see. I didn't do anything. I'm just opening the Bible. And you got your Bible open in your lap or on your phone and you're looking and you're reading and all of a sudden as you're reading it and you're seeing it, you're hearing the Sermon on the Mount and you go, whoa, that's me. That's my sin. That's what, that's what I'm discouraged about. That's, I feel like that's me. That's my spiritual bedhead right there. This is what the Bible does in our lives. It's like a mirror. We're staring into it and it's showing us who we are. The teachings of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, the narrative of the Exodus and the letters of Paul, they are like a mirror that we look into and it shows us our spiritual eye crusties. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, it shows you your spiritual bedhead. And if you saw these things in real life, what would you do? Right before a big meeting, and you look in the mirror and you're like, oh man, I didn't realize that shirt still had the taco stain on it. You make changes. Oh man, I didn't realize I still had a bat in the cave from right before this date I'm about to go on with my wife, my spouse, or this person I'm interested in. You make adjustments, you get in order. And James says, the person who hears the Bible, hears what God is saying to them, hears what God says, hears what must change about your life, and they turn away and do nothing. That's like someone who hears the word and doesn't do it. It's like looking into a mirror and going about your life when you're a complete disheveled wreck. And here's one convicting and challenging thing we must understand. You know, James keeps saying this word, hear the word, hear, 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 hear. Why? How, we don't really hear the Bible that often. We read it. Well, why does he, he, he uses here because in his day, people didn't have their own personal copy of the Bible. They weren't sitting at home curled up with some coffee and, and reading the Bible. They didn't have it. 
They didn't have their own personal copy of the Old Testament. The New Testament is still being written. What they were relying on is what they hear at synagogue, what they hear in the church gatherings, people retelling them what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount and what Paul was teaching in Philippi. So they were constantly hearing what was being taught. And James now says, and now you better live it. Do not be a hearer of the word only, but be a doer. Live what you are hearing. And here we are personal access to God's word, all of it, multiple copies, and we read it, and we memorize it, and we we study it, and we store it away, and we don't live it. We are responsible 10,000 times fold to what James's people were. And some of us, we go out of our way to not even look into the mirror of God's word. You don't look at it during the week. You don't hear it during the week. And you came to church today, and some of you didn't even bring a mirror with you. You have access to it on your phone. You have copies of it in your house. And yet, this is one of the things, as a pastor, that just grieves me. It's because, look, I don't really care if you listen to me on a certain level. Because what is ultimately powerful and meaningful in your life will be the scriptures you hear. I am just a servant that will soon be forgotten. A lot of times that happens. I'm sure many of us, they don't remember what, I don't remember what I said last week. But God's point is that you would do what was said. Because what you need to hear more than just me, you need to hear James 1, 19 through 27. And for some, some, some way you listen to James and you're not listening to me anymore, you already heard the most powerful part of the sermon. Now the rest is just, let's just try to live what James is telling us. It grieves me when we don't bring our Bibles, we don't open them on our phones and see, because this is the word of God. William Tyndale, one of your brothers in Christ, he died for you. He died so that you would have a personal copy of the Bible. And yet we don't bring them. We don't open it up. Brothers and sisters, look into the mirror of God's word. Find where Jesus is leading you. Listen to where he is calling you and do what he is leading you to do. Turn from what he is inviting you to turn from and go into what he's inviting you to go into, the sins he's calling you away from, the life he's calling you into, the good works he's inviting you to. Because disciples do the word. Be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. And James got this right from Jesus in Luke eleven twenty eight. Blessed, Jesus says, rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And what does, Jay, what does Jesus say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? Whoever hears these words of mine and does them is like someone who built his house upon the rock. Hears and does them. Whoever hears and keeps them. So James is getting this right from Jesus, reminding us disciples are doers of the word. And it's not enough to want to obey. Sometimes we'll read and like, yeah, I want to do that. We can deceive ourselves in thinking, well, that was good. James says, no, it's not. You got to actually do it. You got to do the do. Not just want to do the do. John 15, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus is saying, my disciples do the word. And 1 John, whoever says, I know him, I'm a Christian. I've been born again, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. John's not pulling any punches. And already, I know we can read this and we kind of like, what he meant was, no. 
We cannot add asterisks to the Scriptures. The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Ought to be living as a disciple of Christ. Of course we do this imperfectly. That's why the Bible says, if anyone sins, let him confess his sins. So part of the command of following Christ is when you sin, you confess your sins. That's why there's church discipline. For those who say, well, yeah, I'm in him, but I don't confess my sins. The Bible expects that we will constantly be confessing our sins. The Bible does not expect that we will live perfectly sinless lives. Part of following him, part of doing the word is confessing our sins. And if you've been made new by Christ, if you believe you've been forgiven of your sins, you believe in his death and his resurrection from the dead, where is he calling you to follow him? Or are you a liar? And, and maybe today, the way that you need to hear the word and do the word is that you need to hear that God so loved the world that he gave his only son and that whoever believes, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Maybe that's what you need to hear and do for the first time. Maybe you need to hear for the first time that, that whoever believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. Maybe you just need to hear and do that today. And the Lord invites you to do that. But for those of us who are in Christ, who have done that, where is the Lord leading us today? The Bible isn't a yoke. What does James call it? He calls it perfect liberty, verse 25. The one who looks into the perfect law. This is why people get confused with James and Paul. Paul would say the law is a yoke, and he is right in the sense in that it shows us our sin. But now James is saying the law is now perfect for us, a law of liberty, not a law of yoke, a law of liberty. Because now with the gospel, now these commands to love and to serve and to walk in this newness of life, it's liberty that we've been set free from sin, Satan, and death. And now we're free to walk with Jesus. So the Bible is not a yoke. Is a stingray yoked by the ocean? Because it'll die outside of the ocean. Like, oh, that stingray is just being held back. If only it could get on land, then it would know what life is. No. That restriction of the ocean is a protection. It is life for him. And so the same way for us, the Bible is not restricting our lives to hurt us, to harm us. The Bible is a restriction. It is a freedom. It is a liberty of protection for our lives. So let's be hearers. Let's be readers. Let's be studiers. Let's be memorizers. And let's be doers of God's word. And James gets super practical with it. Look at verse 26. He says, just watch your words. 26. If anyone thinks he is religious, does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. How interesting is that? He didn't deceive his mouth. He deceives his heart. Because there is that unavoidable connection between the mouth and the heart. Because as Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. James doesn't care if you think you're a holy and faithful Christian. He says, show me your speech. Show me your quality, your quantity of speech. That'll tell me everything I need to know. Because as Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You like to gossip? Does it convict you? 
James says, your Christianity is worthless. You like to tell inappropriate jokes? James says, your spirituality is garbage. Remember, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our speech is an aroma of our heart. You could always tell when someone's grueling in your neighborhood, can't you? Because the aroma's there. What's happening, you can smell it. It's real. It's unavoidable. The smoke coming out of the grill, all oh, the smell just gives it away. I can always tell when Natalie is steaming broccoli for the kids because the smell is awful. It gives it away. I never have to wonder, ooh, I wonder what she's steaming. Broccoli. And it's just for the kids. We're not eating it. It's just, just for them. Our speech is a giveaway to the reality of our heart. In a sense, you can walk the walk. But James is saying, if you don't talk the talk, it doesn't matter. It's just knockoff Christianity. If you're constantly bad-mouthing others, and you're not convicted when you say something unnecessary, there's no filter, there's no bridle, there's no reins, there's no pulling it back, there's no, ah, I shouldn't have said that, I'm sorry. Man, that was wrong. Or just later, ah, why did I say that? That was so stupid. Lord, forgive me. Help me. If that doesn't happen, James says, you may not be born again. Because your religion is worthless. Because Christians just don't care about themselves. To be a Christian is to admit and to realize and to acknowledge, I, I don't care just about myself. I care for others. That's why we're quick to listen. It shows I care about you. When we're slow to speak, it shows I care about them. When we're slow to anger, it's because I'm not number one in my life. I care about others. And this is James' last point. He really brings it home full circle with verse 27. That practical holiness means we live for the helpless and we live for holiness. Look at verse 27. Religion that is pure. So he's just talking about a worthless religion at the end of 26. Now this great religion, pure religion, real Christianity that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. He's been hitting on the worthless, nasty versions of so-called Christianity. And then he gives us an example of how Christianity is really expressed, what, what Christians are like. This is not the end-all, be-all of what pure, undefiled religion is. He's giving us an example. These two massive categories of what? We love our neighbors, whether they're orphans or widows, or whether they're refugees, or, and we love God. So we pursue holiness, that this is what pleases God. And we can't minimize either one of these. And we do, because we are conservative, theologically sound Christians. And so we will not minimize the end of verse 27. We would not dare minimize the importance of being unstained from the world, the importance of being holy, the importance of turning from our sins. We would never minimize that. Well, what would we minimize? As conservative, theologically sound Christians, we might minimize or delay the first part, visiting orphans and widows and their affliction. And liberal Christians who are believers, they do believe Jesus died for their sins and rose again, and, and we have theological disagreements. We would say they're theologically wobbly, and they're, they're, they're misdefining sins, and they're calling things non, not sinful that are sinful. And so they've redefined the end to keep yourself unstained from the world. 
but yet they are the ones visiting orphans and widows in their afflictions. So it seems like liberal Christians are doing a much better job at the beginning of verse 27, and conservative Christians are doing a better job at the end of verse 27. This is why we cannot be bipartisan Christians. We must only be Bible Christians. What does the Bible say? This is what we must do. We must keep ourselves unstained from the world. And if anyone that does sin, we have an advocate with God the Father, and we confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And one of our great sins as conservative, theologically sound Christians is that we do neglect to care for the helpless, those who cannot help themselves. Orphans and widows in James's day, they were the truly helpless in society. Elderly widows had no way to make money. They're just homeless and no way to care for themselves. There was no life insurance. They were just done. So James says Christians should step in and care for them, visit them in their affliction, enter into their affliction with them. And orphans, there was no government assistance. There was no program that, that Rome instituted to help care for orphans. They didn't, they didn't care. So James reminds us Christians aren't only concerned about their own well-being. They look to help the helpless. That's why we encourage adoption. That's why we look to help pro-life ministries like the Tomwell Pregnancy Center. That's why we want to serve. That's why we want to give. That's why we want to give to pro-life causes and and advocate for being pro-life. That's why our kids in the elementary buildings are raising money on their own to give to the Tomball Pregnancy Center. And I, I really hope that one day it'll be normal for our church and other churches like us that it would be plain that we care for others more than we care for our own ministries. And I just hope it would become normal that it, that Redeemer Church cares more about the helpless than they care about themselves. They care more for those who cannot help themselves than do their own ministries. That by God's grace, if we ever build a building on that land that we have, there's, there's not going to be the nicest thing in the world. There's not going to be a slide going into kid's zone and pony rides for the kids and, and unicorn fur carpet. We're not going to have any of that kind of stuff. Because we want it to be normal that we want to care for those who cannot care for themselves more than we care for our own ministry. So we're not going to have the most impressive children's ministry in the world. We're not going to have the most impressive services. We're not going to have the most impressive small groups ministry. But yet, if we loved the helpless at great cost to ourselves, God is thrilled with us. If our church isn't as snazzy and cool as others, and yet abortions don't happen in Tomball anymore, God is beaming on us. A Christianity that only cares about itself is worthless. You know, there are two kinds of churches in China. There's the state church. They have their own buildings. They're sponsored by the government. They're allowed to have land. They're allowed to meet. And then there's the radical, real, underground house churches that meet in secret. The Chinese government, they don't care about the above-ground church. Why? Because they're just hearers of the word. They're not doers of it. It's the doers of the word that are a threat to dictators. It's the doers of the word. It's, it, the doers of the word are the disciples that change the world. They're the ones that change their families. They're the ones that change history. They're the ones in Acts who are flipping the world upside down. So we need to think about this verse, about, about, about verse 27, and really be a hearer of it and now be a doer of it. Lord, what do you want me to do? 
What do you want me to do, Lord? Lord, how should I orient my life to fulfill this verse now? As I said, caring for orphans and widows, that, that's not the only thing James is implying. He's giving an example. He's giving a full orb, help the helpless. Do you want me to adopt, Lord? Do you want me to serve at the retirement home? People who have just been forgotten by society. Do you want me to be a foster parent? Do you want me to work with veterans? And we have the VA hospital here in Tomball. Just drove by there the other day, and I'm thinking, I wonder if there's something we could do there. I don't know of any churches. That, maybe there are. I just don't know of any that are going to go share the love of Christ with these men and women. Do you want me to visit prisoners? I know we have some people in our church who go and visit prisoners. Do you want me to work with refugees who are being resettled? Do you want me to work with Muslim refugees who are being hated by America? And do you want me to serve them and love them and show them Christ? Whatever the Lord has for you and for us, unlike our dentists or our doctors, his word is one that we cannot ignore. Because we have been born again by Christ, Lord, how do you want me to live like you? By your power at work in me, by the cross and by your blood and by your grace, what can I do, Lord? Help me to be a hearer, yes, but not a hearer only, but a doer of the word. May the Lord do this work in us. Let's pray together.